gift of a stillness, a peace that is available to us as we walk in this life. What a blessing. Well, last week we talked about trials, and trials are what Satan sends at us to try to bring us out of that stillness, to bring us out of that rest. But we talked last week about how God uses those trials to change us, to purify us, to mold us, to bring us to the point where whatever trials we face, we can still remain in that rest. We can still remain in that peace. I didn't connect it back to my analogy last week. I kind of come up short there, and I don't know why I did, but I want to bring it back to the analogy this morning of the uh, chocolate chip cookie recipe. And we're going to talk a little bit this morning about trials. And we know that trials basically are an ingredient into that recipe. We know that there'll be what we talked about as the salt, as the baking soda, as the flour, as the things that just don't taste so good, but they are an essential part of the cookie. And we want to talk this morning about a tool. And, and just to reflect a little bit, as we talked about trials last week, as we introduced trials and the purpose of them in our lives, we're going to be talking about trials for the next today and for a couple more Sundays as we continue to go through James. James had quite a bit to say about it. But what we're going to look at today is a tool that God gives us. James wants to remind us of a tool that God gives us as we face trials, a way to face the trials the way he intended for us to face trials. And this isn't a tool that God gives us to do away with trials. This is a tool that God gives us to work those trials into the mix, to work those trials into our lives to affect the change that God desires to make in our life, the purification that he wants to make. The tool that we want to talk about this morning is wisdom. Wisdom is, this is, this is wisdom from God. This is wisdom that God gives us. Today, we're first going to look at what James has to say about this tool, what James has to tell us about wisdom. He's going to tell us what wisdom is. He's going to tell us how to receive that wisdom. And he's also going to tell us how not to receive that wisdom, the wrong way to go about it. We're then going to look into the Old Testament. We're going to look at a story from the Old Testament about how someone faced trials that they had in their lives. We're going to look into Abraham and Sarah just a little bit. And then finally, we want to wrap up with a challenge to each of us as we go forward from today, as we go forward facing trials and seeking wisdom in the midst of our trials. This morning, our text is James chapter 1, starting in verse 5. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to them. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I thank you, God, for this text. Lord, I thank you for your wisdom, Lord. God, I pray that you would guide us through this this morning. God, show us this morning how to come to you, how to receive that wisdom, Lord, how to walk in the, in the power of that wisdom, Father. I pray for your guidance. I pray for open hearts this morning. I pray for clarity of thought, Father. And I praise you and I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so we're going to look at the what. And we talked about the what already. We said it is wisdom. But before we get into wisdom, we want to look at a little bit of our context. And we talked about this when we introduced the book of James. And we have to remember that James is talking to believers. He is not talking to the lost. This letter was written directly to believers and instructing them on how to process the realities of this world. So we need to keep that in context as we look at this. And we also, in a, narrowing our context a little bit, he's talking to believers, but he's also talking to, the, to believers who are in the midst of trials. He's giving them wisdom. He's giving them tools they need to face the trials that they as believers are in the middle of. That's the context of our text this morning. This morning, he exhorts them, exhorts them and exhorts us how to ask for wisdom. How to approach God for wisdom. First of all, we want to look at what wisdom is. Basically, the way I would define it to myself is God's wisdom is God-given guidance in the practical things of life. God desires to give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us direction in the things that we face day to day. That's the wisdom that I believe James is talking about. And part of that wisdom is to understand the nature, and to understand the purpose of the trials that we face. You know, every day, we talked about it last week, we face trials, whether it's aches and pains, whether it's terminal illnesses, whether it's relationships, whatever it is we face, we're going to face something day to day. And this wisdom is God's wisdom to understand, first of all, the nature and the purpose of those trials, but then how to process those trials, how to live with those trials. That's the wisdom that God wants to give us, that he has available to us. And he wants to show us how to meet those trials in a victorious way, in a way that honors and glorifies him because we're trusting in him. Bert read from Job chapter 28 this morning. What a beautiful text. What a beautiful description of wisdom. What a beautiful comparison of wisdom. You may want to put your finger there because we're going to come back to it later. We're going to look at Job 28 just a little more detail. But what it's, if you remember the last verse, said, And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Another scripture in Psalms 111, chapter 10, I mean, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? When we think of fear, many times it's a, it's a crippling thing. We have a fear of heights. We have a, a fear of snakes. We have a fear of different things. We think of fear as a crippling thing, something that paralyzes us, stops us from doing something, stops us from being able to think straight, stops us from being able to act in the right way. That's what we automatically think of when we think of fear, when I think of fear. Fear of the dark, just name a fear that, that just paralyzes us or sends us into a panic. That's what we first think of, the first thought that comes to mind when we think of the word fear. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's kind of, and when I read that verse, I would think of it as kind of a, of a, a panic. And the reality is, when we quote unquote fall into the hands of God, when we face judgment, when it comes that judgment day, if we are not believers, there is penalty to be paid, there is eternity in hell that will be paid if we don't put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But as believers, the writer in Hebrews gives us another hope. In chapter 12, starting in verse 28, it says, 
therefore, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The reality is God is a consuming fire. He wants to consume everything that is evil and do away with it and cast it out. But we have an opportunity to come to Him in reverence and awe. It's not a crippling fear. It's not a fear that we cower in the corner from our God. It's a recognition of how powerful and how mighty He is. It's a matter of respecting who God is. You see, wisdom begins with a motivating fear of God, not a crippling fear of God, with a reverence and awe of God, an understanding of who God is and what He desires for us. That's where wisdom begins. It begins with a dependence on God. How do we get this wisdom? How do we get this ability to depend on God? James makes it pretty simple. He says, ask God. Ask God for wisdom. Well, then he goes on to say what he'll do. What will God do when we ask for wisdom? It says he will give generously to all. No conditions, no maybes. He will give generously to all who ask for wisdom. He'll give us understanding in the midst of our trials. He says all we have to do is ask. And on a side note, it's really neat what James puts in here. And I ask the question, well, does this come with a price? You know, we talk about in today's world, economists talk about how there's no free lunch. So if we ask God for this wisdom and he gives gives it to us, is there a cost for that? James says he will give without reproach. No strings attached, no conditions. When we ask for wisdom, God will give it. No I told you so's, nothing like that. Well, how do we ask? If all we have to do is ask, is there, is there a way we have to ask? And James gets into that. There are, I guess, a couple, it's, just, it's not really conditions, but it's reality of how God wants us to ask. And it's two simple words. He says, in faith. James says, ask in faith, and you will receive wisdom. If you look at the definition of the word faith, and we've looked at it before, but it's a constant reliance. It's, just, it's not just a recognition and then we walk away. It's a constant reliance on God, and trusting who He is, and trusting that He will give us wisdom when we ask for it. It's believing that God is who He says He is, and expecting that He will do what He says He will do. That's faith in God. That's faith in our Creator God. James is simply saying, in the midst of your trials, ask God and believe that He will answer. Believe that He will give you the wisdom you need for the trial that you're facing. And remember what that wisdom is. It's the wisdom of understanding what the purpose of the trial is, what God is trying to work in your heart so that that can be brought to the surface and dealt with, and a wisdom to deal with the realities, with the consequences of the trial that you're facing, with the hardships, whatever that may be, whether it's relationship or financial or physical. God will give us the wisdom to deal with those things. He will give us the peace The peace is a part of that wisdom and trusting and resting in Him. Now we want to look at the how not. That's the how. You ask, you ask in faith. You believe that God will give it to you. And then James goes right into the how not and he continues the rest, the remainder of our verses with the how not. And he starts with 
saying, no doubting. Ask in faith with no doubting. Well, the first question I have when I read this is, but I have questions. Are questions doubting? Well, what is doubting? Well, if you look at the definition of the word that is translated doubting here, the basic definition of it is to withdraw from. So he's basically saying, do not withdraw from God. Don't, when you ask, be all into God. Don't withdraw. You know, when we withdraw from something, we tend to put our, we, we want to put our faith somewhere, don't we? So when we withdraw from one person, we will typically turn to another person or even to ourselves and trust in ourselves. So this doubting is a withdrawal from, to look to something else. You see, we get confused about doubting, don't we? If you remember last fall, Josh talked about doubting in, one of his, in his message. And he said, and I agree, that God understands doubting as, as we understand the word doubting today. And in understanding the way we understand the word doubting today, I want to look at another story. We're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And I just want to give us a little perspective to, as we're defining doubt here as the reason we're going back here. And we're looking at the story of the spirit-possessed boy. And his father brought him to Jesus and cried to Jesus to help, asked Jesus to help. And Jesus tells him, everything is possible for him who believes. The father's saying, can you help him? Can you cast out the spirit? And Jesus tells him, everything is possible to him who believes. What did the father say? Immediately it says, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That unbelief is what we think of as doubt today when we, as Christians, when we have questions, when we're not sure about what's going on. Jesus gets that. He understands that. You see, this unbelief, sometimes in the past, without looking deeply into this verse, I think of unbelief as the opposite of belief, but it's not. No, when you look at the definition of that word unbelief in that verse, basically it means a lack of, a lack of belief. It doesn't mean a withdrawal from or putting our faith in, or belief in something else. It's a lack of belief in what we, what we know in our hearts will save us. We just don't understand it. It's a lack of belief. That's what unbelief is. You see, the father's heart in this situation was still depending on God. It was turned toward God. He was looking to God. He, he believed in his heart that God had the answer. And he was looking solely to God. He just didn't see clearly what the answer was. It was beyond the comprehension of his mind. How many times are we in that place? There's so many things that God does, that God intends to do, that I just can't completely comprehend because I'm not God. God understands that. And when we're facing trials in this life, when we have loved ones who are facing illnesses, we can't comprehend all of God's plan. We have questions. And in contemporary and modern terminology, we would call that doubt. Even in that verse in Mark chapter 9, the message paraphrase uses the word doubt instead of unbelief. So in our contemporary language, we'd use the word doubt. But really what we're doing is we just don't fully understand. We don't comprehend what God can do and what God will do when we put our trust and faith in Him. God gets that doubt. He gets that lack of belief. He doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us to come to the point of rest and trusting in Him. That's His desire. But that is not the doubt that James is talking about as we go back to James now. God understands that doubt. He loves us and he, he walks with us and is patient with us as we come through that. 
But the doubt that James is talking about, as we said, is to look to something else. James uses an analogy. You guys don't know, know how much I like to use analogies. Well, here we have in the book of James, James's first analogy. He compares this situation, this state of doubting, to a wave in the sea. He says that it's driven and tossed by the wind. I ask you this morning, how do you think a wave works in water? What do you think of when you look at a wave? If you're sitting on a dock and you're watching a wave go from shore to shore on a pond, you watch that wave, and you, if you lock your eyes on one, on, on one shore and you watch it go all the way across the lake, and you watch that wave go to the other shore, you think you're watching the same wave, don't you? Well, you are watching the same wave, but you are not watching the same water. Let me explain that in a little more detail. You see, the wave is the motion. It is not the water. The motion causes the water to rise and to fall. Imagine if you were one molecule of water in that body, in that lake. When that wave approached you, once you got on the crest of that wave, does that molecule of water ride that wave all the way across that lake? No, when the wave passes, that molecule of water drops back down into the, the low trough between the waves. That's what James is trying to tell us when we are allow ourselves to be driven back and forth by the winds of this world. We're going, to go, we're going to go on the crest of the wave and then we're going to be in the low part of the wave. We're going to go up and down, up and down, out of control and rest. We're not going to have any answers when we allow ourselves to be driven that way. And he's saying, how can you expect to get anything from God when you allow your life to just loosely float around like that, like a molecule of water, like a molecule of H2O? How can you expect to get any answers from God when you allow yourself to be driven up and down, around and around like that? That's the point that James is trying to make. He goes on to say that you're double-minded. What does he mean by double-minded? He's telling them that they're putting their faith in two sources. He says you're looking to God and the world for wisdom. Remember, he's talking to believers here. And he's not condemning them by what he's telling them. He's trying to empower them. To tell them to stop looking to the world for their answers. I told you we want to go back to Job 28. We're going back there now. And we're going to look at a little summary of this text. We start out in verse 12 of Job chapter 28. It says, where shall wisdom be found? It says, where is the place of understanding? Well, he goes to a few places where it's not found. He says, it's not found in the land of the living. It's not in the deep or it's not in the sea. He says it can't be bought by any, any value. He said, in fact, you can't even put any value on it. Then in V20, he asks the question again. He says, where is wisdom and understanding? Then he goes on to say, it's hidden. This wisdom, this understanding is hidden. God knows the way to it. He sees everything. In fact, he created everything. God created everything. What, what Job is saying here is to put your faith in the Creator and not in the created. And as you read the book of Job, who in the Bible would know more about facing trials than Job? He lost family. He lost possessions. He suffered great physical hardship. And look at the wisdom that came out of what he experienced. He's, again, remind you that what he's saying is to put your faith in the Creator and not the created. And that's what we do. And in verse 28, we'll look at that one more time. 
And he, and he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to, to turn away from evil is understanding. You said, wait a minute, Kevin. It says that it's hidden. Why would God hide wisdom? Because he wants us to put our faith and trust in him. And guess what? It's not some big mystery of how we go find this hidden wisdom. James tells us how to find this wisdom. Ask God. Ask God for wisdom and believe without doubting. Believe without being double-minded. Believe that he will give you the wisdom. Believe that he will fulfill his promise. Well, what do we do when we face trials? Do we believe and not doubt? Do we believe and not put our faith in things of this world? I'm guilty of, like I told you guys before, of trying to figure things out under my own understanding, my own ability. I like to have a plan. I like to try to think through all the possible outcomes of any situation that I might be facing. As I get older, I become more and more aware of the fact that there's no way I can anticipate everything that's going to happen, but I still try because I'm human. But that's not what God intends for us. He wants us to plan, but hold loosely to those plans. But what we do is we act like we're trusting God. We go through the motions. We say that we're praying, we're asking God, and we're waiting for God. But what do we do? We're on the lookout. If the world would happen to present a quick fix to what we're facing, we'll jump for it, won't we? We'll jump for the easy way out, the quick way out, instead of waiting on God to provide. First of all, to show us what He has to show us with the, with the trial that we're facing, and then show us a way out. Show us maybe not a way out, maybe a way to cope. Maybe give us the strength to endure it, to allow His full purpose to be fulfilled in the trial that we're facing. You know, looking at James' water analogy, it gave me another thought. People who are double-minded, in essence, are standing with their feet in two boats. One boat is in their proclamation that they want to trust in God. The other boat is in the things that this world has to offer in order to, to save us from drowning in the water of life. Think about it. How unstable that is to stand with one foot in one boat and one foot in another boat and trying to keep those boats together. That's what we're doing when we're trying to trust God and the world at the same time. Like we said, the world is full of quick fixes. Like we talked about last week, if you're miserable at your job, what do you do? Go get a new one. Don't wait. We don't tend to in our flesh wait and see what God has to show us. He may want us to change jobs. But how quickly do we pull the trigger on, I'm not happy here. I don't care what it's bringing out in, in me, what it's exposing in my heart. I know the answer. I just need to get a new job. Well, guess what? We change jobs. We go to a new job and the same problems are there. But guess what? Because we're there. The problems went with us. And we didn't, take, we didn't seek God's wisdom to say, God, what are you showing me? What are you exposing in my heart? What am I contributing to this hardship that I'm facing in this job? Why are all these people responding so poorly to me? Our initial reaction is it's because there's something in their hearts. But maybe God's trying to show us that it's something in our hearts that is feeding their reaction and causing their reaction. So yeah, God may ask you to change jobs. It may be in His plan for you to change jobs. But we need to be diligent about seeking His wisdom in making that decision. What about if someone crosses us, whether it be a friend or an acquaintance, maybe even a spouse? The world makes it so easy to bail out. We'll go find new friends. We'll, we'll go get a whole new circle of friends. 
Instead of, again, trying to see what God is trying to show us through the strains in that relationship. What he's trying to purge from us. We'll just go find new friends. And guess what? The problems follow us to our new relationships. Because it's issues within our heart that God lovingly wanted to expose to us through the trials that he allowed to happen to us that are causing our misery. And until we address those issues head on, we're going to continue with those issues. God knows that and he wants us to realize that. All we're thinking in our minds is we want relief. And what do we do? We're double-minded. We ask God, and we say, God, help us. And then we turn right around before we ever get the amen out of our mouths and our brains are going to, how can I take care of this? How can I get relief from what I'm facing? And we don't wait for God's answer. That's the double-mindedness that James is warning his readers about, what he's warning us about. You see, the world's quick fixes are just contrary to God's plan. Maybe he didn't intend for us to change jobs. Maybe he wants us to stick with a relationship that we're struggling through for what it will work in our hearts. Sometimes our refusal to follow his plan are just contrary to his plan. Sadly, many times the quick fixes that the world offers are just simply contrary to God's very nature. They're sin. And we'll justify it. And we'll try to explain why what we're doing isn't so bad because it gets us out of our immediate stress and keeps us from actually looking into ourselves what God intends for us to do, what He longs for us to do out of His great love for us. Well, that's what James has to say about wisdom, about how to seek wisdom and how not to seek wisdom. Now, as I said, we want to look back in the Old Testament a little bit and look at a story. And we're going to go just over some of the highlights of it. But if you want to look at Genesis, starting in the end of chapter 15, we see where God first introduces his covenant with Abram. And part of that covenant is to promise him and to let him know that he's going to have many descendants, that this covenant will be passed down through and that this promise will be fulfilled through. Well, there's a problem with this. Abram has no children. And he and his wife Sarai are old and past the natural age of bearing children. Well, what do they do about it? We go to chapter 16. Did they just rest in what God had told them and trust in that? No, beginning of chapter 16, we jump right into Sarai's plan. She has a plan to help God make this happen. She recommends that Abram take her maidservant. And they didn't wait for God. They had their foot in the other boat of things of the world. And they're saying, okay, God, we see your promise. We're going to help you along and and do things that you didn't ask us to do that are contrary to your will. But this is the only way that we see within nature that we can even have, that Abram can even have descendants. What did it do? It got pretty ugly, didn't it? Hagar got kind of I guess for lack of a better word, it looks like she got kind of snippy with Sarai, didn't she? Got kind of proud of the, where she was at and the place that she had taken with Abram. And Sarai didn't appreciate that very much. And she gave Abram an ultimatum. And it's something they had to deal with. All because they were double-minded and they took things into their own hands. They looked for quick fixes by what the world had to offer, by what nature had to offer. 
They put their faith in the created instead of the creator. They decided they were going to help God along. Well, we go on down to chapter 17 of Genesis, and it opens up with a reminder. God says, I told you I would do this. I told you that I would give you many descendants. Now he gets a little more specific. And he goes on to say, Sarah, by this point he's changed their names. He says, Sarah will bear you a son a year from now. No, I'm sorry. At this point, he doesn't give him a time frame. He says, Sarah will bear you a son. What did they, how did Abraham respond? He laughed. You know, we often are reminded about Sarah laughing, but Abraham did too. And the reason he laughed, and ultimately the reason Sarah laughed, is because in nature, by the world's standards, this was absolutely impossible. They, like the father in Mark chapter 9 didn't see how this could happen. They were now looking toward God. They had at this point surrendered the ability to do it under nature, doing it under their own wisdom, their own ability, but they could not fathom how God was going to accomplish this. That was the reason for their laughter. So they still had questions. They still had doubts as we would think of doubts, but their hearts were turned toward God and saying, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. In fact, it's laughable to me that this can even be possible, but you said it, so we're looking that way and we're trusting you. We're not going to try to take it into our own hands anymore. That was where they were at. But he did exactly what God told him to do. He went and circumcised the males. He prepared everything that God had told him to do. He walked in obedience from this point forward. Then we get to chapter 18. And this is when God gets even more specific. He sends these men to God and to Abram. And he tells him, Then in one year I will return and Sarah will have a son. Tells him you will name him Isaac. Sarah heard this from the tent, and what did she do? This is when she laughed. And again, she did not understand how this could be possible. And then she lied that she laughed because she was embarrassed that she laughed. But still, God had a promise, and he was intending to fulfill this promise. And it looked completely impossible to them. But again, they didn't resort to any of their own means. They had come to the end of their own natural means and they waited for God and guess what happened one year later they had a son Isaac they were not double minded at this point they had surrendered it to God yes they had questions but they left it in God's hand and God did exactly what he said he would do ask you this morning how do you approach life How do you face trials that you're facing? Are you trying to face them by yourself? Are you trying to figure them out under your own understanding, within your own means? Are you trying to get relief from whatever you're facing by your own means? You see, as we talked about earlier, when it gets tough, we ask God. But then, after we've prayed the prayer, we go back to looking for a solution in the natural. And yes, God will use circumstances. He uses circumstances all the time to work things in our hearts. So there are going to be things in the natural that He is going to use to affect what He wants to affect through the trials. But He wants us to look to Him first and trust Him for it. But they'll be in His time. These, these things will be fulfilled in His time and not in us trying to force it. You see, because he sent his son. And again, we often remember that 
He sent His Son to pay the ultimate price for our sins. We know that His Son lived on this earth, died and was resurrected in victory over sin and death. He paid that penalty. And often we leave the gift there. We come to a point of brokenness and we receive Christ as our Savior. But we don't receive Him as our strength for the here and now. We receive Him as our Savior, but we refuse to ask Him for wisdom or even believe that if we do ask for wisdom, that He will provide for us in the here and now. I challenge you this morning to, when you face your trials, you heard Mark this morning. You know what they're facing. They have a lot of questions. What did he do? He came to the body of Christ. He came to Christ, and he asked for our prayers, and they are seeking wisdom. They don't know the trail, the path that they have to walk, but he is surrendering it to God. It's an example he set before us this morning. Josh shared about his grandmother, the trials that they're facing there. God wants us to surrender those to him. Maybe it's a relationship that you're struggling with. Stop trying to fix it yourself. Ask God what he wants you to do and respond to that, react to that. You're going to make some mistakes. But when you're in the word of God and you are learning and understanding the nature of God, you will be much better equipped to face the trials that you face and much more prepared to hear what God is asking you to do. That's where God wants us to be. God allows trials in our lives. Remember this. Not to destroy us, not to crush us, but to mature us, to grow us, to strengthen us. And He will give us the wisdom to accomplish that in our hearts. He will give us the wisdom to identify what He is trying to show us in our lives. He will give us the wisdom to face those trials. All we have to do is ask in faith without doubting. All we have to do is take our foot out of that second boat of what life has to offer and rest in God. Rest in what He has for us. Now that doesn't mean that He's not going to ask us to reach out and paddle the boat every once in a while. But guess what? When we reach out to paddle that boat, it's already going to be going the direction that we are trying to paddle it in when we are trusting solely in God. And that paddling will be effortless. You see, when we face trials by seeking and truly believing that God will give us wisdom, when we take that step, when we take that turn, there will be a peace in our heart. We can find our hope and rest and trust in Jesus Christ because our lives are already going in the direction that God wants them to go. It's just a matter of us surrendering to His will. And yet we're still going to face hard times. We're still going to face hardships. But when we face them knowing that we're moving in the direction the same direction that God is, the the direction that God wants us to move, He will give us peace. That doesn't mean that it's all going to be perfect, that all the ailments are going to be healed, all the relationships are going to be restored, but He's going to walk with us through them and He's going to restore in us what He desires to restore in us. He's going to affect in us what He wants to affect in our hearts, what He wants to purge from us, and how He wants to mature us. The reality is, just like those individual ingredients in the cookie, our trials are not going to taste good on their own. But God will give you the wisdom to work them into the dough. God will give you the wisdom 
to allow his trials to have their full effect upon your life. And I say his trials, the trials that he allows. He will give you the wisdom to allow their full effect upon your life, to produce the full effect upon your heart and your life. What a beautiful gift God has for us. We're not alone as we walk this journey. We don't have to be in a panicked fear as we face the trials of this life. Some of them are going to hurt. Many of them are going to hurt. Many of them are going to seem impossible. But when we, by faith, put our trust and hope in Jesus Christ, He will give us the wisdom, again, once again, to reveal in our hearts what He desires to work in our hearts. And He will also give us the wisdom to face whatever the physical circumstances are that we're facing. I pray this morning that you are resting in the promise that God has given us and the wisdom that is available to each of us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. I praise you, God. I praise you for wisdom, Lord. God, we know in Scripture that that wisdom is hidden. But Lord, we know that it's not locked away with some mysterious combination or some mysterious key. It's a matter of us asking you, the one who knows the way to that wisdom. Lord, in believing that by your wisdom you will work in our hearts what you long to work out of our hearts, the works of our flesh that you long to purge from us and prune from us, and the fruits of the Spirit that you desire to put in the place of those things, Lord. God, I thank you for so faithfully pointing out to us the weakness that comes from being double-minded, the weakness of trying to trust in you and trust in the world at the same time and, and waiting for whichever one comes up with an answer first but the power in trusting solely in you. Even when we have questions, even when, like Abraham and Sarah, it doesn't physically look possible. Trusting that you said it, so it will be so. God, give us the wisdom to work through our trials, to to live victoriously through our trials. Lord, help our unbelief. I praise you for the promise that you will, Lord. And I praise you for your Son, by whom you have provided the way for us to be in fellowship with you and to receive the power of your grace upon our lives, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.